for Radio 1 91FM podcast. And right now I'm going to be playing out an interview that I did yesterday with the wonderful Emily Hartley Scudder, um, whose current show is Additions and Alterations at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. Um, she is a Wellington-based artist, um, and alongside a selection of works from the Dunedin Public Art Gallery's contemporary collection, she has facilitated and created environments for them, transforming perhaps or altering or adding additions, as the name suggests, to that work's meaning by contributing her own very distinct and very enjoyable art, which is why, just right off the bat, I really recommend you go see this. It's quite something. Um, so using the notion of reframing and repositioning as a thematic guiding tool, each collection work sits within an environment that she's designed to conceive specifically for the work which inhabits it. Hartley Scudder's uh, interventions subvert and reframe the gallery's typical aesthetic, drawing on her interests in design language and the domestic notions of representation, commodification and the artificial or constructed. Um, the eight works are themselves very impressive from the contemporary collection from artists such as... Um, Nick Austin, Kushana Bush, Steve Carr, Fiona Connor, uh, Michael uh, Parakofai, Yvonne Todd, uh, Erica Van Zon, and uh, Kawita um, Vat- Vatanai Janka. Sorry, I've actually, I know I've, my friend spoke to Kawita and interviewed her on the show previously. I'm just awful with names. Um, and the, the environments that she creates all shifts the framework of their subject matter and Emily is no stranger to creating incredible um, very detailed scapes in which we aren't left to feel uh, uncomfortable per se but we are left to identify small changes or little aspects of the design of the environment that we're in to um, and associate a certain emotion with that experience um, most of which is exactly the emotion that is attached to it by Emily um, think life-size doll houses uh, carpeted bathrooms and fake flowers um, or a reconstructed memory of an interior that never existed um, it's a nostalgic modification uh, and Emily has exhibited around New Zealand and also completed a residency in China and spent some time in New York as well she is a very uh, distinguished artist and it was a pleasure to be able to talk to her um so without further ado um this is our conversation uh, about her exhibit additions and alterations at the dpag currently uh, so kia ora, emily um it's a pleasure to be talking to you today um it was really nice of you to give me a wee walk around of your exhibit just before um it's, a, it's amazing <laughs> Thank you. I, I really am in awe. I really love like full room setup and very art that's very physical and interactive that you can walk through and experience. Um, so I guess this sort of leads in um, to my first question, which is because uh, you're based in Wellington and you've done this show for the D-Pad, um, which is a very cool concept show, I have to say. Um, how did you um, come across this opportunity? What was it that um, you know allowed you to do this work? Well, um, I actually. Uh got uh and we yeah, received an email from lauren gutzel the the curator and i think she had this idea for for a little bit of time she'd kind of slowly been processing it i think um obviously it's really important um for dpeg to be showing their collection and especially their contemporary collection and it was she kind of started gathering works that that all had uh we're kind of repositioning the subject matter in some way or reframing things. Uh, so, for example, there's uh, a Michael Parakofai uh, tree that, a sculpture that is a, a bronze sculpture of an olive tree that looks very realistic. So it's kind of um, changing the, the material or it's with 
uh, Kawita's work, who was here on residency, um, she actually uses her body, repurposes her body. as um, So she was thinking along those, um, along those lines and she'd seen my work and how I um, have been making installations where my, uh, my paintings kind of sit within those. So it's almost like you can step into an environment and then almost again then look into a painting as if kind of this doubling that happens. So she thought that it would be a really interesting layer to add on top of these collection works that were already dealing with that in some way to then go even further and uh, invite me to respond to these to the works in some way. Wow. Yeah, which was which is really exciting, but also a little bit um, a little bit scary because uh, seven out of eight of the of the artists are New Zealand artists and they're living and they're, you know the in um, some of them are my favourite artists. So it's like a bit of pressure because it's um, that's the other thing too. You don't um, yeah. So I thought a lot about. Um, I guess what happens to artworks when they leave the artist and if they go into a collection or, yeah, depending, depending what happens and, then, and how you have to give up your... Um, you have to kind of give it up and, you, you know, you can't really control necessarily what, what happens to it. So um, I guess that was kind of the starting point. Well, yeah, because I suppose in that scenario the duty sort of falls to you to not do the art justice but to facilitate the art in a way that is appreciative but also, like... It says in, or rather, like I read about your exhibit, the um, additions and alterations to the work in order to facilitate a different response to the piece. Yeah, uh, yeah, really kind of fascinating how how it can be shifted and then also shifted to kind of sit somewhere within my own work, which was, which was, I mean, sometimes a challenge because you do have to make different compromises because it's not, it's also yeah because it's it's in a collection. Um, and there's all there's different obviously rules to protect the work and all of that. Um, and for a lot of them, you know, you, I didn't really want to celebrate the work, but you also want to um, to shift it to kind of rub up against it a little bit too. Um, so, for example, with Steve Carr's video work, uh, it's very. I mean, obviously, it's uh, there's like colourful flowers which are really beautiful, but it's very um, on like a very black background and it. So you really, um, it was part of the conditions um, of uh, display when they bought the work. It needed to be on the, the thinnest um, TVs with the, like with the thinnest background, like oh, with wow. the, the thinnest um, edges around them. Um, and I really wanted to, in some ways, like make make that work quite feminine, kind of push up against um, his quite th- uh, slick kind of aesthetic, and um, put it on floral wallpaper. And actually added, we had to kind of. Yeah, I was hoping that he wouldn't, that he would, he would let us, but um, put like pink. I don't know if you saw there's this pink border around the around the TVs, um, like a like a moulding, kind of like a frame moulding. So it was. Um, I wanted to push push some things a little bit. Um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I really like that you've gone in all directions with that interpretation, and I think it's testament to that because when you walk in and you experience it. Um, well, it's kind of hard to describe. I guess people can probably just go and experience it, but it, it really is quite something. Um, and it's a very—it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating concept um, because you've created the environments for the contemporary works and you've facilitated that. But when you do your own works, like you said, and you put art inside of an environment of your own, 
and you do it that way. Um, is there an ever so slight disconnect with intention, do you feel, when you're facilitating another person's art? Yeah, it was, there was definitely a bit of a challenge or like certain ideas might not have um, worked within this gallery space in terms of um, we didn't want uh, audience members to, to, um, to touch certain things and kind of there was a bit of a management about how we were going to um, get around that. Um, I guess I came at it like trying not to worry about maybe what the artist would think and just thought if they imag- if if these works kind of existed in my uh, fake domestic world um, that's kind of drawing from showrooms um, and showrooms dolls houses uh, theater sets that, that, that kind of um, those visual uh, devices I guess yeah would how would they how would how would that look how could I dress them up in some ways that that's um, I decided on a title for, for that project, um, for, for my kind of project within Additions and Alterations, um, is Staging Your Comeback, uh, which is a bit of a funny, kind of a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. Um, like, I guess I was looking through like home makeover, like all of these different, and that's what the like Additions and Alterations references. But this was this is actually referencing a, um, a makeover guide uh, written by quite a famous guy that appears on Oprah and stuff and it was actually for it's the it's like staging your comeback for, for women over forty five to like reinvent themselves kind of thing. And it's like, well, but they didn't actually go anywhere, you know. So it's um I guess that that kind of got links to I guess home improvement or like, you know, the self improvement and also um I guess underlying ideas in my work uh, in terms of um, yeah, expectations placed on people, especially women, and, and also, I guess, using a lot of the uh, retro aesthetics as well, um, looking to a time where often um, a large, like, creative outlet for, for, for women that, like, were often, like, homemakers and housekeepers, that that was kind of something that was or only could be their, um, their, creative, their creative thing if it wasn't maybe possible to be an artist. So I guess it's, yeah, so it's kind of looking at that a bit. Um, and then also, I guess, works coming out of collection, dusting them off, you know, kind of like re, you know. But of course, they're such important works. Like, of course, that's not, you know, they're great artists. They're not. They don't need, you know, they're not washed up. They don't need to come back. But I think I wanted to be a little bit cheeky with that too. Yeah. Brilliant. I like yeah. that. You actually answered so many of my questions all in one. Though, oh, okay, great. I have to admit, um, one thing that really picked on my mind was going through um, your previous exhibitions and what you've done in the past. Um, in particular, I really liked Home Show, Show Home. Oh, yeah. That was fascinating. Um, yeah, and yeah. it just it made me think, what sparked this, uh, you know, fascination that you have and this, um, you know, uh, the whole uh, natural, artificial and quantification, this fascination with uh, home environments or pitch or small items. What? How did that start for you? It was actually a bit of an obsession with dolls' houses as a child. I kind of um, I'm, I'm an only child, so um, I'm very lucky that uh, grandparents and, and parents like helped contribute to my collection. I kind of inherited cousin a cousin's doll's house with Sylvanian families, um, wow. and uh, it kind of started from there. And I didn't I mean I was just really interested in it. Um, there is definitely something about kind of I guess the escapism shrink, shrinking down to yeah to live in these imaginary worlds kind of thing. 
and then I actually, uh, at high school and then at art school, I had actually kept everything in storage and I got them out and started photographing, uh, setting the interiors up, photographing them. And I loved that that uh, kind of shift that happens when you get a camera lens in there and some things look quite quite realistic and then some things were obviously very, very fake, very out of scale. So I loved that uncanny feeling that when you saw a photograph, it's still, we're still, I mean, things are changing, but we still often see like a photograph of something that's like real, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking at quite a lot of artists that were taking photos of, um, of models and toys. And then that's obviously been explored quite, uh, yeah, quite a lot. So um, I was like, could I, could I recreate that experience within paint? And like, how can I, yeah, if I, I guess referencing photorealism, um, if I can recreate uh, close enough to the photograph that it's got that, got that link to some kind of reality, mm-hmm. but there's that shift that happens there and it's like, yeah, something strange that that happens, and so it was naturally to then think about how those works sat within environments, and how still lives. I kind of focused on the still life, um, how those were historically um, made for the decoration of the domestic space, and people would commission, would collect amazing um, items from all around the world from their travels, and then get painter to to recreate that in paint and then that would then go in the house alongside their their position so it was this weird doubling and then there's the like representation of a thing and what's better and why why would you even do that so I guess I kind of looked a lot into how the still life has had this kind of journey throughout time and in different movements and it's still very much one of the most like common domestic decorations, like you, you see still as everywhere. I mean, in cookbooks, and you know, you get them in the op shops and on placemats. And mm-hmm. so I think thinking about how works and especially paintings sit within some kind of environment is, yeah, is like a key key thing that I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, n- n- like now that you mention it, it is sort of constantly around us in yeah. so many different forms. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's also used a lot to to dress up sets or to make something more homely that's like a showroom that's already quite artificial but like if it's like a kitchen showroom for example put some fake fruit or a couple of wine glasses but it actually makes it look more fake so I, I quite like that that play and um, it was so amazing uh, being able to uh, exhibit in a show home like an actual model home in Christchurch uh, I just because it's like a life-size doll and that was, I think the stars just aligned that I managed to, co- to convince the owner of like a fairly small um, building company. Um, yeah, I think about it now because I've tried to reach out to, to other companies, but just it's actually really difficult. So I think it was just so lucky, the right timing, a smaller crash business. Um, it was in Wigram. And a new development there. Uh, and then Wigram Skies. And there was actually a whole kind of lane of about five or six uh, show homes of the different ones that you could choose. So there was golden homes and different different ones. And most of them were very, very neutral, very grey. And that's kind of definitely the... So people can kind of project. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, what they can see. But this one had a bit more of a, a 
bit more quirkiness or something. And, and it had, it actually had a, a bedroom that was, had some yellows that were quite similar to the bedroom oh, in the wow. exhibition, but it was more kind of pale greens, pale yellows, like whites. So I, yeah, took photographs um, in the home with the existing stage decor and then went away and made specific, site specific kind of paintings to then swap out. I think they had these black and white photographs of like, maybe it was like aviation parts. And we kind of swapped those out and um, yeah, and I convinced them to put mine up for a month. And um, so yeah, so the audience would have been really interesting because some people knew about it and went, but some people were genuinely going to look at, at the home. And then I guess hopefully they would have slowly realised that there was these creepy paintings that were like matching the, <laughs> matching the decor and for example they had some fake pears that were on one of the tables and, and I actually had some miniature tiny little pears that I'd made out of like Fimo um, quite a long time ago and so I put, put those on, you know, took, yeah, took a photograph of a little set up and, and then that painting went on the wall so yeah so I guess I've been playing around with that, and I guess now I'm kind of bringing those show into the gallery, you know, so, but I definitely want to, yeah, go into a space that's not an art gallery as well, go back to back, because it was such a, yeah, such a cool thing to do, it's just kind of convincing people. I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, yeah. oh, because I love that people went in thinking and not realising, yeah. having that completely, like, pure experience. yeah. Because it all feels, it feels to me like the most pleasant subversion. Like <laughs> completely subverting your expectations of what you think is going to be like that. And that's how I felt when I walked into your exhibit. It feels like I'm in a, uh, like, perhaps, like a show room of specifically, like, kitchen units or yeah, something. Yeah. And you walk in, and then it was already just fascinating to look at because everything was a little bit, like, pleasantly altered or, or like, changed yeah, yeah. a little off. But then one thing that really struck me was when you pointed out the foam tiles on the wall and the foam wood panels as well, which is quite incredible. You told me that you got that. You had to order those in from... Yeah, I saw that in China. Yeah, I I did a a residency at the end of 2018 and um, it really opened up the the material that I could um, draw from to use for installations just you can anything you can imagine really <laughs> um so and they have um a big website a platform called Taobao, which is kind of like the i guess like the amazon or ebay um but you have to have a chinese phone number um to kind of access it and you can actually um you can actually message the the manufacturers directly you can actually kind of contact them and ask them so so there's a mix there'll be just shops that sell stuff but there's also the places that actually kind of make them and you, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of um, tr- trying to translate things that I wanted to find and then the algorithms would suggest all these weird things and it kind yeah. of just went down this thing all of these strange objects that I could find but um, the these foam wall coverings you can also get um, fake mosaic glass tiles but they're actually kind of gel kind of shapes with different colours. So I'm doing, um, there was actually work in my last show, Lolly Gaga, which was like purple, um, purple mosaic tiles. So on a distance, they kind of look like that. When you get close, they're kind of glossy and plastic. So um, that that glossy look with the really block bold colours is so, uh, even though I I was just looking at a photo of the work that you're talking about, um, the texture 
that was so obviously present. And even in everything in there as well, the amount of different textures, the bed you've got made out of carpet. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, um, sorry, I'm just, I, it's just very fascinating oh, to, to, to go through an experience that I have to admit. Yeah, I um, just really enjoy the sh the, that shift of materials because they're very, like carpeting a bed or a couch, the carpet is so ordinary, you know, um, and we see it all the time. Um, but then just shifting it to something that you wouldn't normally carpet, or even the shift in the colour, actually, because it's very hard to, to source um, certain colours in New Zealand. Um, they just don't stock it because people won't buy it, so you often have to get it from America or, or Europe. And I guess things like that as well really do hint to... I guess it's kind of hinting to the housing market and how people... Um, we'll just be, make very safe choices because they're thinking about selling houses on and it's kind of just, I mean, I know, yeah. So I guess it's like looking at a taste thing as well, just how how things have changed and just how conservative like, decor is. And, but just how annoying, it, like you just can't actually even get it, <laughs> a lot of the stuff. So it's like, yeah, interesting, especially with this show, how much of it has actually been sourcing materials. Um, yeah, a lot of time on trade me and, and, and going to carpet stores and trying to look at what, yeah, but you can actually get quite a lot of good lino, so like, I'm going to get excited about, after getting that teal lino, get some different <laughs> do some different works with um, yeah, some I was going to say, you've worked with so many materials over your um, career and there seems to be just an unending amount of different materials available, uh, at least perhaps not in New Zealand, but overall for you to access. Is there one medium, one material that is something that you've always wanted to create something with but have never been able to? Ooh. Um, it's a... Oh, that's quite a hard one. Um, that's right. I just... Sorry to jump that on you. Yeah, no. I mean, I guess there's different, definitely things, like larger scale things that I'd love to make that I don't actually have the the tools or the skills to make. Oh, I can't... I can't quite think off the top of my head um, in terms of specifically materials. I haven't done a full... This is a bit different, but done, like, a full kitchen yet, which would have been... which is um, definitely something on my list. Um, but, yeah, I think mainly what I'm excited about, for example, working with DPAC, is being able to actually realise some of the larger things that I've imagined, like with the couch and the bed and, um, yeah so I think maybe it's, oh no actually, I just remembered um, resin um, clear clear and coloured kind of transparent resin I started playing around with um, to suspend objects within um, but was very difficult <laughs> and I kind of took me on a bit of a tangent. I was trying to work out how I could present my miniatures and objects as sculptures that presented them in a way similar to how I'm kind of elevating them in the paintings mm. um, but it's very toxic and very kind of hard like mathematical to get the measurements right and to do, yeah um, so I definitely I've, it's kind of gone to the side now but I wanted to collaborate with someone or yeah work with someone that had more of a knowledge and kind of facilities to um, to make some uh, yeah recent sculptures with like suspending suspending objects and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing concept 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, definitely people have, have done it, but I think with some of the miniatures and some of the objects that are just so, yeah, so great in themselves, but how do you, beyond just putting them in a, in a vitrine, like how can you, yeah, um, elevate them, like, or treat them how I treat the paintings, because obviously when you spend a long time yeah, making this really um, detailed little painting, it definitely does something to those objects. So, yeah, it's a bit of a puzzle how to uh, actually do that to the real life, the found objects. Yeah, how to transform them in that way. Well, um, I have a question that it's a bit of a guilty pleasure question that I like to ask people who work in your more, like, physical world of art that is very much present, but also, like, the similar even colour palette to the artist I'm going to ask you a question about. Yeah. Um, so you've talked about commodification with a lot of your work, which is a really interesting idea to go about. Um, and in your lollygagger one, like I said, the block colours and the shine and the texturing that you can see. Um, looking at some artists, and in particular I'm going to mention Jeff Koons yeah. as a pretty <laughs> I thought you might. example. Yeah. No, no. Um, but at the same time, though, considering his methods that are at least of processing what he does compared to how you clearly at least from my experience and what you've described, it feels like a very much self-realized, self-actualized execution of what you do compared to uh, his process. I mean, I guess in my head I'm just sort of calling it a little too literal qualification, but um, did you, do you take any ideas or do you uh, have an interpretation of art such as his, um, of a similar type to his or his art? Um, and how does it make you feel when you see that process happening in the art? Oh, yeah, so, so you mean um, people having teams and people getting like, outsourcing things as, yes. as well? And also, yeah, um, I, I love I love Jeff Coons. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's funny that people, I mean, he's obviously so, so huge. And, yeah, but um, I actually, it was one of the standouts. I, I lived for um, about a year and a half in, in New York, um, and I was actually there for his big show at the Whitney um, Museum, and it was amazing to see. I don't know, it was just so, yeah, so so cool <laughs> to, to see it. Yeah, um, and it was also quite interesting to see some of his early stuff, which was which was just there was these works that were like mirrors and then blow up flowers, kind of just placed on them. Mm. Um, and so it's quite fascinating to see how an artist would get to that get to that point where everything, you know, just massive teams of people making them um i think yeah i mean there's just something yeah i definitely draw from from others like yeah, um because you can't i mean yeah it is what it is i guess like with his work it's kind of quite immediate and quite mm. it's just yeah and i guess he's like shifting obviously um with materials with um the, the kind of the inflatables that are that are steel and chrome and yeah um i think it's definitely just part of part of the part of what happens as an artist, I guess. And I am definitely um, there's, there's ideas that I have that I would definitely just have to outsource. Um, so I think it, it's totally part of it. Um, I think like because I trained, I guess trained in painting um, at uh, at Island School of Fine Arts. Uh, it's been a very long time really focusing in on that although I was still taking a lot of photographs as as source photographs and some sometimes exhibiting just the photographs but it was more yeah kind of painting photography um so I feel like I because I spend so much time doing that and that's kind of 
my my learned craft like that's the that's the thing that I can make well whereas the, the other aspects they're definitely more of a challenge um, especially to do completely by myself like for example in the lollygagger exhibition like I was quite worried about getting the finishing up to the same scratch as the actual painting that sat within the work because I was hand cutting the like the aluminium trim that's actually for tile um, for flooring and stuff but so I kind of had a miter box and I was cutting it with the um, with like a hacksaw but obviously like the the 45s they're always a little little bit off and so I was struggling with that um, how to make it slick enough but it's is also acknowledging it it's handmade and yeah so and I actually um, get a lot of advice from my partner who's also an artist who's painter but um is also very practical and, and makes a lot of things and can build things so a lot of times I'm like I want to do this how can we actually put it on the wall or like yeah so I actually I owe a lot to um to to him in terms of that practicality um because I think I'm much I think really on like two dimensions and I spend a lot of time doing that so I guess I'm a little bit um there's certain things that I'm just like oh can I just get someone else to do it <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, but I do like that grounding of having that painting practice. But yeah, sometimes, um, yeah, it, it's been a bit of a challenge, but also fun to have to have different things to get on with in the studio because it mix it up a bit. If you're getting a bit fatigued from painting, then and start cutting some stuff and <laughs> measuring some stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I think that I have to admit, it is very pleasant the way that the images that you've matched um, your own paintings in this exhibit. Um, with the environment you've created for the other artworks, the translation of your own paintings, and you try to match them with the setting, like you mentioned when we walked around before, to sort of actualize and like make feel more three-dimensional what you've painted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's an interesting experience of having all these different works around you and knowing that all of them are working in tandem. Uh, how how do you, in your mind, sort of see? that vision, that sort of synergy of those things coming together? Because it must be very much, you know, conceptualised for a long period of time. Or is it more that you see something and you're like, that's perfect, I'm going to use that? I guess a bit of, I guess a bit of both. Um, when I was planning this show, because it was, I guess, effectively nine environments, nine installations, it was quite hard holding everything in my head because there were so many details within each work. Um, I think quite often uh, I start with the like one of the largest like materials that is going to be hard to find. So I guess for for this it was locking down the, the flooring for a few of them. And I guess once I had kind of had that, um, so the the purple carpet. If I could, I knew if I could kind of get that, then it would work. Or um, yeah, so some some decisions are really dictated by. I guess by finding the thing. Um, sometimes, um, yeah, I guess I knew I wanted to do a bedroom for one of them and a bathroom, but it was really like when I found the red red bath and the red sink, it was like, um, oh, this can, this can ha happen. So, yeah, so often because I'm relying on discovering things that already exist in the world, it's quite, it's quite nice to see that, to, yeah, to kind of be influenced by something that I find and then go from there and try and match things to it rather than yeah because because if you if you do it the other way around I've had that before I kind of had a series of paintings that had a really specific color palette but then to actually find flooring that would match that was actually 
yeah, it gives you a bit of a headache, you know, because you have, if you have something in mind but you can't quite find it, it's, you know, tra- drives you a bit crazy. So sometimes it's good to find the things that aren't as in your control. That makes sense. No, that does make sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess with this it was good because I had the fixed um, the fixed works that Lauren had curated, so the fixed eight works from their contemporary collection, uh, as a starting point. But then sometimes I would go a bit off tangent. And I'm like, oh, but I just want to make this installation. And then but I'm like, oh, no, but it has to, you know, it has to serve, um, serve the collection work as well. So it was a, yeah. I guess then, um, probably my final question would just be, uh, uh, are there any environments you created in this exhibit that you see yourself in the future evolving into entirely different or more complete works? I think I'd definitely like to, um, like to expand on, on some um, or, um, or reuse different aspects because, yeah, also I hate wasting too, so it's always great if you can repurpose, <laughs> repurpose materials for sure. But then it is actually going to be an interesting way to manage that because they exist with someone else's work as well. So I don't know because it was made for that. Yeah, if I can, I mean, I will. Yeah, be able to pull pull things out of different ones. I think. Yeah, definitely think a lot about um, making more uh, bathroom installations that are a bit more um, complete. Like I do like that people are able to walk, like, step into them. Um, but then it's a little bit contradictory because you're not, allowed, not really allowed to touch. <laughs> so it's, like, a tricky, tricky thing. Um, yeah, I think more of it. It's really exciting. And I think um, you learn so much after each time as well that it seems more possible to, to build on it. Um, so it's almost like, yeah, this is the biggest scale I've worked on. So it's, it's exciting. It's, like... Where do you go from here, though? But but then more seems possible, I guess. But also it was made possible because of working with such a great team as well. So it's like, yeah, that was was great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't think anyone could be more convincing to come to the exhibit from what we've described. It sounds quite remarkable and from how you've elaborated. But I think, though, uh, anyone who is interested, of course, um, uh, it opened just a few days ago. Yeah, so it opened uh, last Saturday. And I had, yeah, did a nice talk that day with, with the curator, Lauren. Um, but, yeah, it's on, on until the 28th of June, I think. So it's like a, it's a big run because of the scheduling. And, yeah, so, um, yeah, it's really great to know that it'll be up for a while. It'll be interesting to see um, what kind of stands the test of time and, you know, different different responses from people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thank you. Today, um, Emily, it's been an absolute pleasure. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.